lovelies, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach, and welcome to confession number 96. We are getting personal with Inquiry Learning with Kath Murdoch um, in this series right now. We're focusing on sections 3.4 to 3.5 in this episode to learn how to confer and sustain the inquiry process. Now, before we begin, we have to give a big shout out to Nisha Vahi, our moderator for this session. She was unbelievable because she brought in two reflection tools I had never even heard of. One is by Shifting Schools called Root Bark Branch. And then another one is called Triangle Square Circle from Harry and Rosemary Wong in their book, The Classroom Instruction Book. I'm having some links below into the message description so that you can um, check out a copy for yourself um, and more importantly so that you can use them with your learners to get them thinking. So let's get going. Let's focus on conferring the key to success in this whole inquiry process. And once we've launched this personal inquiry journey, we need to continuously follow up in order to sustain that process. As a teacher, I'm going to own my truth. This was an opportunity for growth in my practice. I regularly checked in with my students. I regularly collected data and evidence of their process. And I would annotate those to guide my teaching instruction. But I was not necessarily consistent all the time. Regular basis, my students knew it was part of a routine of conferring with them, which I feel like was a missed opportunity. And I understand why now that I've read through this portion. I've always known it was important, but time, right? It's always about time, time, time. But this section reminded me of the importance of consistency because frankly, we can all do better. And Kath states, conference is a deliberate, usually scheduled opportunity to check in and provide feedback and support that allows both the educator and learner to consider next steps. Skilled conferring means we must be fully present to the learner's offerings and simultaneously notice what they are revealing and the implications for next steps. Well, that put me in my place, honey. Hello. Okay, so right there, that tells you it has to be systematic. It has to be scheduled, never to be missed. And I own it. I think that I, it would have been a much better process um, in so many ways with uh, literacy development, math development, and also inquiry development had I conferred more regularly with my students. To be honest, it was a little scary process for me because there's so many rules and guidelines. And um, that's what I love about Kat's work is she brings it down to a scalable piece uh, where it doesn't feel so overwhelming. And there's stems to guide the process instead of tons of checklists of documentation that you must capture, right? Uh, so the part that resonated with me in this passage, I'm going to say it again. Conference is a deliberate, usually scheduled opportunity to check in and provide feedback and support that allows both the educator and learner to consider next steps. Skilled conferring means we must be fully present to the learner's offerings and simultaneously notice what they're revealing and the implications for next steps. That part that resonated with me was the word revealing in that passage. 
how well do we listen to all specs aspects of what our learners are revealing to us about their process? How can we manage this in our context? And Cass suggests the power needs to remain with the learner, where the learner realizes what they need to do next because of the deft questioning, probing, and what Matt Glover describes as nudging. Oh, so you mean I don't have to be the mantle of all the assessing. No, you leave the power with the learner and you're conferring with them of what the IV calls feed forward, right? You're giving them next steps, but you're not giving it to them. You're saying, hey, what do you think should be the next steps? You're kind of nudging the student towards where your goal is, but they're the ones who are driving the bus. That makes sense. And this part really sits at my heart right now because I love that part about the power remaining with the learner. It's made me think about all the processes and systems that as an educator, I need to put in place so that this can happen. It just doesn't naturally happen. It's where as, uh, you know, I keep hearing is that we're setting the conditions for these things to happen. And so what conditions need to be there, right? And I don't know about you, but what do you need to add into your practice so the power remains with your learners? So when conferring, you know, with younger children, there's also some other considerations we need to think about. And Kat suggests using a play-based workshop that is less formal and brief. And she continues by saying, confer with two or three children per session. These focus learners are given particular attention during the workshop with notes made about their learning, dialogue recorded, and photographs taken. And this just so makes sense to me because we know early learners need that practical, um, tactile, you know, they need to be able to feel it and see it so they can replicate it and do it. And so that makes sense that this type of evidence would be collected um, for them so that they can, once again, so the power stays with the learner. So there's some salient points that she mentions of what to do while conferring. We know we have to listen, but what does that truly mean? We have to ask clarifying questions and document our interaction in a variety of ways. And I believe most of us engage in this practice, but Kath provides some amazing question prompts and sentence stems to spark that dialogue on pages 120 to 121. There are prompts there for suggesting and sharing and goal setting too. So once again, for clarifying questions, documenting, suggesting, sharing, and goal setting. There, there are prompts there for you. And if you've read any book by Kath, you know that she's going to, um, well, she'll never just suggest something without giving you some practical examples that you can Im implement right away. That's just how she rolls. And one thing that really, to be shouted off the page um, in this section, when I was thinking about the early learner, she says, mind your language. And I was instantly like, 
Kath, what do you mean by this? And this is what she meant. The words and tone we choose to use as we confer with learners have a strong influence on the way they see their learning and their sense of agency. Uh-huh, bless. So the words that we use either uplifts that agency, that self-efficacy, or puts it down. That's it. There, there's only two ways to go, up or down. And man, I want to be the up because I want to leave the power with the learner, remember? So I'm going to up, up, up so they feel like they can do, do, do. And she gives some practical examples on page 121 about how to do that. And so I'm going to share with you one that resonated with my heart. She said, instead of doing this or saying this, what have you done? Oh, I take not what if. Oh, I went into, I went into, woo, judgment mode. Instead, well, this is also judgmental, rolling off my tongue. Why have you done this? That doesn't sound very nice. Even if you're meaning to be like, why have you done this? What's your motivation? It kind of is like negative, right? Instead, we're flipping around. Remember, mind your language so the power stays with the learner. Try something like this instead. I've noticed. I am wondering. Can you help me understand more about? That sounds more like you're curious. You want to know more. And meanwhile, you're going to get to that same result of having them unravel their ideas without it feeling judgy, right? And I, of course, I, I learned that from a, you know, chick flick, judgy. And, um, but th that's what it is, right? Don't we found, sound like we're kind of judging the students with that other language? So the language changes it from being, you know, that judgmental, punitive to naturally inquiring about the thinking process. And to be honest, this to me is transformative. There's equally amazing talking prompts on page 122 to support your process. I'm telling you, so many goodies. Every time we go into this, there's so many goodies in each section. So now how do we support and sustain this process? As we know, for anything to be sustainable in our practice, we need systems in place to support it. Learners need to know how to wield each of the parts so they can manipulate them for their own use because we want that power to stay with the learner. And Kath remarks, as learners work through their inquiries, we need to be clear about our roles and develop systems then ensure there is some routine and predictability within the dynamic and varied learning environment. I like that routine and predictability because if we're constantly learning something new, constantly decoding as we're going through, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? That's why we have a problem of more critical thinking. Instead, it should be, oh, here's this tool. I'm using it again. All right, now I got to think about how am I going to use it differently this time? That's completely different. And that's what she's talking about. And Cass suggests using a simple inquiry cycle as a possible scaffold for the process uh, for us to be able to make it sustainable. And on page 125, there's a sample inquiry cycle for learners that are, I would say, seven years old and up. 
that has some sample questions and each component of the inquiry cycle is there to answer those questions. And just a reminder, the inquiry cycle is comprised of these components. I've kind of synthesized them. That tuning in, what are we doing in tuning in? We're activating prior knowledge. We're getting in there and trying to figure out, what do you already know? Tell me, show me. Finding out, that's where they're, once again, the power stays with the student. We're trying to get them to ask questions, right? We're trying to get them to gather their own information from varied sources. Sorting out, they're organizing the information they've gathered so that it's meaningful to them. And they're weeding out the pieces that do not necessarily belong. Documenting. The learner is capturing the evidence in a variety of ways. So they are, they're utilizing all their skill set and showing and documenting their learning process. Sharing. They're thinking about how are they going to share their findings with other people? And which way are they going to uh, share some sort of product and their process? And acting. They're applying their learning through taking meaningful action somehow and making the world a better place for themselves, for their peers, their local community, possibly their global community. And during this whole process, our learners, we know it. They get sidetracked because there's so many new ideas swirling in their minds at the same time. And on page 127 and 28, there are tools to help learners stay focused on meaning making, managing multiple inquiries, harnessing the talents of older students, um, and managing, you know, group sharing and reflecting on the personal inquiry itself. And once a week, CAST suggests, or maybe even more, once or twice a week, consider hosting a personal inquiry workshop. And here's some ideas found on page 129 um, and Kath provides some detailed ways for learners to do this. Where she says, in the workshop, you could possibly focus on gather, focus and plan, investigate, create and do, confer, conduct mini lessons or clinics, pause, on ref uh, pause to reflect, and reflect on the process. Those are all things that we need to consider. Whew, that's a lot, isn't it? My goodness. So, and then thinking about that, now how do we get our early learner or our, our early year students and teachers on board of this process of like an inquiry cycle? We've not forgotten about you, friends. In fact, Kath has created an entire section dedicated just to you um, from pages 130 to 133. Kath reminds us that during the early years of primary school, generally four to seven years old, most personal inquiries originate through play and engagement with materials. The role of play as a context for inquiry cannot be overemphasized. With the right mix of open-ended materials, time, and trust, Inquiry is, a, is as natural to play as a fish is at home in water. Play involves experimentation, testing out ideas, 
imagination and risk-taking. Now we know that in the early years, the learners, you know, they don't operate the same way as everyone else and also each other. Their personal inquiries may last one lesson or be carried out over several days. But remember, this is all about exploration and discovery because we want the power to stay with the learner. And on page 131, there's a detailed discovery workshop template with certain considerations that I love, love, love. And I'm gonna share one piece with you because oof, there's too many goodies on here. But the one that resonated with me, because I'm thinking about it right now in my practice, is curating the space. This is what Kath says about curating the space. Educators organize materials around the learning space, indoor and outdoor, to invite learners to experiment, investigate, problem solve, create, and imagine. Some of these materials may be permanent features of the space, while others are deliberately designed as new or temporary provocations. This may be set up before the session and or it may involve learners in selecting and organizing materials based on their interests. Materials should be open-ended and invite sensory engagement. Materials may be deliberately designed around particular concepts. <gasps> I love that. And next time I teach about learning space design, <gasps> that's gonna be red. Oh my goodness, so delicious. So some, sorry, I got derailed ah, at her excellence. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this book club has been everything to me. I I thought I loved Kath Murdoch before, but honey, reading this book, I'm like, this woman oh, is on her game even more. This book has just so resonated with me and I hope it has you. And I just love it. It's so timely. It's what we need right now as we're coming back and checking our systems, ah, this just, ah, I can't speak, sorry. Okay, I'm fangirling a moment, sorry, I'm coming back. So some other considerations for discovery workshop include gathering, focusing, and planning, investigating, creating and doing, conferring, reflecting, and sharing. If you notice, the processes are the same, but maybe the outcome, maybe the, maybe, you know, the products and the way in which we go about it are different, but the ultimate um, goal is the same, right? And just, we just need to make sure that for whatever grade level that we're looking at, we need to consider how learning will be organized, documented, and those learning outcomes. And there's just so many goodies for you to read in this section to conclude Kath provides a list of roles an educator takes on in a personal inquiry workshop on page 134. And this to me, because this speaks to my heart, um, is my favorite. She said, set up systems. Spontaneity and flow benefit from structure and organization. Design systems that help hold space and freedom. You know why that speaks to my heart? because that's leaving the power with the learner. They're gonna be able to, if we design systems that help hold space and freedom, the learner has the power to own the learning. Isn't that amazing? 
I hope you were able to take away some nuggets from this section. Like I have, I know, I'm, I'm all over the place. Uh, forgive me. Don't judge Cat's work by my craziness. But, well, I, I hope to see you in the next episode as we unpack sections 3.6 to 3.7. Um, I'm ready to go back and reread all of this 3.4 and 3.5. How about you? Have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again in the next episode. Love you to bits.